And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello. This is still the local coronavirus update. We're still talking about this, uh, but it is our second to last show. Our penultimate show. Exactly yes. right. We'll have our grand finale next week. We're inviting everybody to come and celebrate with us at 4 o'clock at the station in Philo. If you want to come for a potluck, bring instruments. We'll get Drew singing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Mm, maybe not. But <laughs> but it, it, we are still in a pandemic. Don't want to make too too light of this uh, at all. Things are very serious here in Mendocino County. So what's the latest? Well, serious and yet static really mm-hmm. is the latest. Um, we're still adding about five uh, cases a day. Uh, in the last week, we've added 53 new cases. Um, so it's actually a little bit over five, but the rolling two-week average is five a day. Um, bringing our count to 4321. Um, slightly over 100 people are in isolation and quarantine in the county. Positivity is still at 3.8%, uh, so pretty high. Um, much higher than the Bay Area counties, for example. Wow. Um, and we currently only have four in the hospital, one in the ICU. Uh, no new deaths. California, on the whole, is doing quite well. We're under 1,000 a day, if you can imagine that, um, in the last few days. Um and the U.S. is only adding about ten to 12,000 cases a day uh, nationwide um, over the rolling seven-day average. Um, so, in general, we're doing well. All eyes are on the Delta um, variant, I think, um, which is both good and bad news uh, since the more, no- the more knowledge we have around the Delta, um, the more we know it is pretty highly contagious uh, when compared to the the original variety of uh, COVID, but it also responds quite well to the vaccines, all three of them. So, um, you know, just a question of whether we're going to have enough people vaccinated uh, to prevent some sort of surge, probably in the South, um, over the course of the next two to three months. What's the positivity rate of the whole country compared to Mendocino County right now? Test positivity rate? Yeah, the whatever the three point eight thing is. Ooh, boy, I don't have that number in front of me. Um, I, I imagine it's lower, um, just because we're only adding eleven thousand a day um, cases. That's like a pretty low number nationwide. Yeah. That's yes. impressive. Yes, um, but I, I don't have that number in front of me. I, I think it's around, it's somewhere between one and a half and two and a half percent to to estimate. Um, Vaccines are stable. It's still around a million a day. It's actually trended up a little bit over the course of the last few days, which is good. Um, There's huge regional variation, um, state to state, as we've discussed in the past. Vermont has 64% of their population fully vaccinated, whereas Mississippi's down at 29% astonishingly large discrepancy wow so the million a day is not happening in mississippi well if you look at actually the numbers for people who have received at least one dose um then the numbers are increasing faster in states like mississippi or Mm -hmm. alabama georgia um than you know the new england states which have very high uptake mostly because the new england states are starting to run up against complete vaccination or at least complete vaccination of those who are going to get it ever at all all right so then what's going on here in mendocino county why is our rate so high 
Well, that, that's a good question. I mean, it, we have a fairly high degree of um, vaccine uptake, um, particularly when compared to the rest of the state. Whether it's just a question of isolated hot pockets of people who are not vaccinated um, or whether there's some other as of yet unknown, unidentified factor, it's hard to say um, because really our vaccine uptake rate in this county is better than California's. Um, and so we should be doing better than California um, as a whole. And, and yet right now, at least we're not. That could also just reflect, you know, just sort of statistical variation uh, rather than any true trend due to a single factor. Uh, so it, I, I don't have a good answer for it. And frankly, I don't think anybody else does either. Um, what we do know is still in general, we're not seeing a lot of people with uh, bad COVID or serious or moderately severe COVID um, who are vaccinated. That just doesn't seem to happen much at all. Um, and while we have had a few people hospitalized with COVID who have been vaccinated, um, a lot of those people are uh, people with comorbidities that uh, result in some compromise of their immune system. You've talked a lot about um, those of us who are healthy and have you know fully functioning immune systems taking it on to make sure we get vaccinated because there are people who uh don't have who have compromised immune systems but are there like is there a a kind of a scale for if you have you know somewhat compromised immune system or a completely compromised you know what i mean like what is it what is the level of uh immune system uh, compromise that would cause somebody to not have a immune response to the vaccine. Well, it's hard to quantify that because um, I just I a know, lot of people yeah. have the sense that their immune system is right. low uh, right. for whatever reason, and there's you know a multi-billion-dollar industry, snake oil industry, of, on immune system boosters, and we've you know heard many calls over the course of the year and a half about how people are doing this or that to boost their immune system. That's all bunk, to be clear, um, but. In general, when we talk, when when physicians or medical providers talk about a suppressed immune system, you're talking about some sort of medical condition that either directly impairs your immune function, um, or we're talking about medications or an infection uh, that impairs immune function, um, and so medications typically tend to be things that fight chronic autoimmune diseases um, and or um, chemotherapy or immune suppressing drugs, literally immune suppressing drugs to um, allow one to carry a transplanted organ. Um, And so those are generally the broad conditions that lead to significant immune impairment um, that we think place people at considerably higher risk um, for still getting COVID, even if you're vaccinated. But then other kinds of um, ailments, you know, maybe that somebody believes that they have a real condition, not just, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the person but- who gets pneumonia every year, for example, doesn't necessarily have an impaired immune system, right? That person might have some sort of structural problem in their lung function that allows them to get pneumonia every year, but it doesn't mean their immune system's not working or is impaired in some significant way. But that person might think, uh, and not unreasonably, think that their immune system is impaired. It's not clear that that category, to pick an example, uh, leads 
it results in an impaired immune response that would render the vaccine less effective. Or any other kind of chronic conditions? Are there other chronic conditions that could... Yeah, I mean, just because, of, obviously, I'm talking about something I have in mind that I don't want to name, mostly because I don't know the condition, but I do know that friends and people that I've heard of in the community believe that they have compromised immune systems, so they don't want to get the vaccine. But I just wonder, like, do they really, or are there... Well, they, they might, but, I mean, my my point has been and will continue to be if you think you have a compromised immune system then you really absolutely need the vaccine uh, because if your immune system is impaired uh, then you really want to protect your body as much as you can now the caveat or the problem is some fraction of people who get the vaccine with an impaired immune system aren't going to mount the appropriate immune response to the vaccine and thus won't have as high level of immunity it's it's a sliding scale some people will develop a very good immunity and others won't develop much at all and i probably is now inactive probably the majority of the people are going to be somewhere in the middle but if your immune system's impaired then that's definitely a group of people that should get vaccinated Mm -hmm. as early as possible and maybe some of those people won't have a robust immune response but some might correct and you can still you know there's not a lot of great data yet in terms of testing for antibody response and the, the immune response Response is so complex um, to COVID or to anything else that you can't really just rely on an antibody test. Um, there's a lot of different factors that go into how one's immune response is structured and operates, um, whether it's from innate immunity or induced immunity. So, you know, people have called and said, can I get an antibody test to see if I have immunity to COVID? You can, it's just not very clear how to interpret that. And there are literally, I believe, you know, hundreds of tests out there now uh, for COVID antibodies, almost none of which are well um, defined in terms of how to interpret them clinically or even whether they should guide one's actions. So it's, it's definitely a fraught field for which I have no great answer. I would suggest that if anybody has an impaired immune system, uh, then you need to have a conversation with your provider in terms of getting antibody testing, uh, making sure it's the right one, making sure it's understood in the right context, um, just to have a sense as to whether you are completely naive or whether you actually do have some response. It would be helpful uh, for that person, I should imagine, in terms of guiding future activities, uh, particularly now that masks are coming off and we're doing everything uh, that we used to do. Well, and I expect we'll have a lot of questions about this issue that you raised with the masks coming off, because uh, when I talked with the public health officer on Friday's show, it was clear that this is all new and nobody's really sure what's going on with it so i want i'm sure we'll have some calls about that um about being out in the grocery store and about employees at, at local businesses and and all of that but what are you seeing about that or what are you noticing about uh, the next phase of things well i think you know i i think if you're vaccinated uh then i i think we can we who are vaccinated can relax considerably right and, and even with our numbers being you know three and a half to four and a half percent positive positivity um 
the absolute risk for the vaccinated population is quite low. I still think, I still contend um, that wearing masks, particularly indoors, is a very good idea. Um, but I, I recognize that I am in the minority there, or at least I'm not in a in a political position. Whether for I'm our viewers, Drew viewers has his mask radio. on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it is a fraught moment. It's a, it's a bit of an inflection point. Um, and whether we are going to see a surge in cases over the course of the next month or not, we don't know. You know, we learned last summer that COVID certainly doesn't fade away in the summer. Um, and whether that translates to real numbers um, in August which is kind of what we'd be looking into July, early August, um, as we go about our activities and take the mask off and go indoors. Yeah, that's that that remains to be seen. However, we're still sitting at you know sixty five percent vaccinated, um, at least partially vaccinated in this county, um, and so that just gives uh, the virus many many fewer hosts to infect um, and to you know to um, spread from. So hopefully that that degree of vaccine uptake will mean that we don't really see much of a surge well that's why it's so concerning to see 15 cases in a day like we did yesterday or the day before yeah because there are so fewer people who can get it right now yeah no the the cases are concentrated you know if we're talking about you know five a day uh four or five a day um primarily amongst the 30% of the population that's not vaccinated in this county. That means the, vac- the, the rate of spread amongst the unvaccinated is quite high indeed. Um, so, you know, if, if, again, I sound like a broken record. It's, it really just it behooves one um, to really either follow the COVID rules and ignore all of this opening up business or get vaccinated, right? Yep. In other news, um, there was a big study that came out, or actually a small big study, um, if you will, not that many people, um, identifying a new medication that actually really reduces mortality for moderately severe COVID. Didn't really get much coverage, um, but came out in New England Journal of Medicine this past week, um, study of about 300 people. Um, hospitalized. You know, hospitalized people with uh-huh. COVID. Um, new medication. It's not new in terms of its use, but it's new in its application to COVID. Um, and it reduced mortality, 30-day mortality, by about 30%. Wow, so what is it? It's something called tofacitinab. Of course. Of course it is. <laughs> and obviously <laughs> it's a Janus kinase inhibitor. Oh. Um, uh. Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, let's just say it, it modulates the immune system. It, it it works by tamping down the cytokine storm that we see in the sick people. Um, it's already been used a lot in um, um, the various uh, things like ulcerative colitis and rheumatoid arthritis, um, autoimmune conditions. It's not cheap, but it seems to be effective. So it's already been used in... It's already FDA approved for um, other conditions. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, well, that's exciting. It's immediately available. Yeah. yeah. And how does that compare to remdesivir? Uh, it's more effective than remdesivir. Um, it's not, it doesn't appear to be quite as effective as good old-fashioned steroids, um, but in conjunction, it's probably there's some synergistic effect, I should imagine. And you 
you always expected to see them come up with things will continue would, you know it's better. not a slam dunk again but for people who are going to get moderately sick it's always nice to have another treatment modality yeah well um now that our president is is vaccinated we don't have to watch you know him get the disease and then get all the treatments <laughs> that none of us have access to that was a fun chapter yeah well, he was i think he was probably the only person in the world who got that particular combination of unvalidated treatments everything they yes. had yes. well what do you think you want to open up the phone lines sure okay 707-895-2448 this is the local coronavirus update with dr drew colfax 707-895-2448 we'll keep the phone lines open until four o'clock with your questions and i expect people will have have a lot of questions as we what they call go beyond the blueprint as things start to open up <laughs> And, uh, of course, people always want to know about traveling with unvaccinated friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, 707-895-2448. I have a question that was sent to me. Um, it was. It is regarding children um, who are not yet old enough to be vaccinated. It's a multi-part question, but to summarize, given that COVID-19 for the age group is a long way off and that the long-term consequences of COVID-19 infection for children is not well understood. And thirdly, exposure for children is probably increasing as the mandates for masking and social distancing are disappearing. Question is, what strategies do you recommend for protecting them, them being the children? Um, So the first the first thing is to be vaccinated, right? Um, you want to be that 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 goes without saying. And this person who's sending this question um, prefaced his question with that point, which is to say, if you're an adult and you want to keep your kids safe, you need to make sure you're vaccinated. Um, and as a parent of a ten-year-old who's not yet eligible for a vaccine and probably won't be eligible for a vaccine. Um, I suspect until September sometime. Um, really, there's not a lot. There are not a lot of strategies um, that one can employ other than the basic COVID protections. Um, you know, masking, social distancing, staying outside type of thing. However, um, I think it's important to keep in mind that even now and still, um, COVID is much less dangerous for children 12 and under than your run-of-the-mill flu. Um, And so it's really just, I mean, yes, some kids have gotten sick and some kids have even died from it, but it is much less dangerous on the whole uh, for young children um, than other diseases that we're quite comfortable, you know, more or less ignoring as we go about our daily activities. Um, And so it's important to keep Keep that in mind when arrest, when assessing what one can or cannot do with younger unvaccinated children. Um, but other than that, it's still just unfortunately masking, hand washing, social distancing, staying outside, etc. Which can't hurt. Can't hurt any of us. Let's take our first call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Um, I just wanted to tell you that after long dithering and waiting i got the johnson vaccine last week and it was a breeze and i want to give a shout out to the people who have been going around for an hour or two here and there and and vaccinating people those little stations have proved to be a real godsend and i'm very very glad that they're there 
And I want to give a shout-out to you. I found out about the event I went to on your show. You've done a valuable, valuable service for all of us. And I'm sure more people than I are thanking you very heartily. Well, thank you, and I'm glad you got vaccinated. And really, the pop-up events are coordinated and and staffed, I think, by the county. Um, And one thing that is clear, and the county recognizes this quite well, is the just the mere opportunity of getting um, a vaccine, particularly the J and J, because it's just a one-time thing, uh, really leads to. Um, uptake, sort of spur of the moment decision making um, to get vaccinated, even uh, for people much like yourself who have been sort of on the fence or dithering for quite some time about it. I see that at work now. We are offering the J and J to anybody in who comes through the emergency room, and I've had you know several vaccine, um, shall we say, reluctant or hesitant people who, over the course of being in the ER for something else, um, decide to get vaccinated, um, and it's. You know, it's just really just because that opportunity is there. Um, and I think people are tired of, you know, just sort of the the anxiety of not being vaccinated, um, frankly, and wanting to get through this both for themselves and for people around them. So I think that's why we're still seeing some uptake, even though we're sitting on, you know, considerable stockpile of vaccine. Um, and, you know, we have the capacity to vaccinate pretty much everybody in the county all at once right now. Um, the slow uptake continues to uh, trickle along in a very steady sort of fashion. And I think a large part of it is just due to um, these small events that allow people to make that make that spur of the moment decision. The impulse decision, yes. yeah, yes. to do it. Just because it's there. Just, well, just because it's there, and just because you're ready to be done, right? And it doesn't hurt, and it's quick. And I am so glad you got vaccinated. Thank you for calling and telling us that. I'm. You can't imagine how relieved I am. Oh, thank you. <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>. bye. <laughs> an old friend of mine <laughs> I'm very very glad she got her shot um let's take our next call ready hello you are on the air okay let me get away from my radio okay i'm on the air you are yep yeah okay um i have a kind of a two-part question uh i've had to book necessary travel for the middle of august and uh, this morning there was a show talking about how long or not the efficacy of these um, vaccinations is going to be in place. And I'm wondering if uh, the doctor has anything to say about what they know now, and can he recommend like a website or some source of information that I could reapproach the middle of August and get... Um, and know if I can feel comfortable with the vaccine that I got in January. Yeah, so the the increasing data is pointing toward very durable immunity induced by the vaccines, um, primarily because they each induce a cellular level of immunity, not just these antibodies that we've been talking about, but the cellular uh, immunity that stays with us sometimes for life um, seems to be very strong um, strongly 
triggered by these vaccines. So in terms of your vac- being vaccinated in January and the question of your having continued robust immunity in August, that's not a concern, frankly. You're going to be you're going to be enjoying immunity from this vaccine uh, probably for multiple years into the future. Now, whether we ultimately determine um, that you need a booster shot either because of the strains that have done an end round end run around the vaccine or because immunity is waning in two to three years. We don't know that yet just because we haven't gone that far. But so far, all the data um, coming from um, multiple studies and the people who really think about this, i.e. the immunologists, um, point toward quite durable immunity. So you're fine. You don't even need to you know, go into some wormhole of some website um, looking into it. Uh, you're Community is going to be um, still quite uh, present from that January vaccination event. All right, that is uh, super good news and um, Pulitzer Prize radio edition <laughs> for your show. You guys have been amazing. Thanks. Thank you. Um, Ooh, excellent squeaky noise. I love that. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. 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 Squeaky door. Yeah. Um, well, but if people did want to go down a wormhole, do you have any favorite resources? It's mostly just medical journals that I go to, frankly, um, and they get pretty dry, let's say. Um, so I, I don't oh, on the air. There's nothing that I would recommend other than just reputable news sources, which actually do generally do a very good job consolidating um, and rewriting things in a layman's language. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, things like the L.A. Times, New York Times um, are quite good. Washington Post has done a good job with this as well. Um, I wouldn't stray too far afield uh, mm-hmm. because you tend to get into. Um, a crazy land very quickly where they um, not only translate it into regular language but they get it wrong well they get it wrong or they just you know there's there's um, a slant um, mm-hmm. either you know for or against something uh, whether it's vaccinations or not it can be hard to say but you know it's just it, it becomes fraught quickly. Uh, well, that's good to hear a dispatch from somebody who actually understands the primary source that when you notice the reporting in these outlets that it's it's accurate yeah no i mean particularly you know well-vetted well-edited news source they they do a good job um in general but there's just so many streams and so many people get their news from social media which can be just gaga uh from what i understand i wouldn't know personally um but that's not the wormhole you hang out on no it is not correct all right well i always get paywalled out of those other I subscribe to the Washington Post, but the other two, I, I really want to read the L.A. Times, but I just can't. Yeah, well, you know, journalism doesn't come cheap. It's a lot of subscriptions. It is. It's true. Speaking of news sources, you remember that caller last week, the one that wanted me to look at um, something that was published in the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists? Yes. Yes. So I went back there, and it was it was a rather interesting article on the um, zoonotic or versus the lab escape hypo- hypothesis. Um, zoonotic of, being animals. Yeah, from from an animal, you know, animal to human transmission, maybe with an intermediary host, um, and it was. It's an interesting article, to be sure. Um, Not exactly unbiased, despite the author's protestations to the contrary. But it really does 
touch on what has been gaining a lot of traction over the course of the last month or two, uh, which is to say, where the heck did this thing come from, and why haven't we figured it out yet? Um, you know, you, you can imagine that there's a whole army of um, virologists in China um, trying to figure out which bat population or pangolin or civet, I don't know, uh, this came from, versus a lab escape. We really just don't have the answer yet. Um, I, I think most money still is on a zoonotic origin um, versus you know the lab escape, and unfortunately, it's been so robustly politicized that you can't even really discuss it uh, without you know going down this wormhole of you know Trump's accusation that uh, this was you know released intentionally by China to weaken the American economy, et cetera, et cetera. So you know it's just it's gone so sort of off the rails in terms of any coherent discussion. Um, but it was an interesting read, and I, I appreciate the caller's suggestion that I look into that. Yeah, it's almost like a Rorschach test at this point. It's like whatever your confirmation bias is, that's what you... Yeah, and, and, it, shouldn't, and it shouldn't really be that way, right? I mean, it, it, it should be able to be something that we can talk about in a less politically fraught... It's not a political question, right? It, it, it's a scientific question, which is to say, where did this come from, and how did it? How do we end up with you know, 3 million people dead, or 13 million people dead, depending on how you do the math, um, worldwide? And we remarkably just still don't know well and our answer to that question is going to determine how we protect ourselves from similar things in the future so we really do need to figure it out yes. and and our policy needs to reflect the situation that we find ourselves in um so it, it the stakes are they were high and they're still high um to to not just get this wrong for political expediency all right we have another call hello caller you're live on the air Hello there. Um, one of the things about this entire pandemic that's a little bit disturbing to me is all of this discussion about lab leak, which, you know, shouldn't completely be ignored, but the, regarding the jump from, from animals in the past, uh, commonly it has come from, from porcine origin in our direction, and that has gotten almost no attention in this recent round that we're still going through. Yeah, I, I think the reason why we haven't really talked about the porcine potential vector is coronaviruses don't typically um, infect pigs. Um, other diseases certainly do, um, but coronaviruses are primarily harbored in, in bat um, populations um, as well as several of the small sort of rodent-like um, mammals. Well, I'm under the impression that the original research that was being done back uh, from the 2003 SARS situation that we lived through, um, they did do some research in the pig direction. I haven't done a lot of reading on it, but that is one thing that I'm under the impression of. Um, uh, another aspect of this entire opening up um, I'm with you about being cautious. I've been to some recent events, and, you know, when it's outside and people are um, of mind and consciousness about the whole thing, I've seen it done really well, and then also I've seen it done where there was more alcohol being used, and it was a little, there were concentrations even outside. It was just, you know, I shied away from certain zones because 
it just seemed like there were too many people too close to each other over there, and I didn't feel comfortable yet. Um, one of the things that I think, uh, I mean, coming out of this, I mean, I need new clothes, and, and I think maybe something that's going to work to my uh, benefit, lightly, is fashion-wise, I think that the price of masks will go down because people aren't going to be buying them, and they're out there. And so, fortunately, I get to stock up on some new masks because I'm not done wearing a mask, personally. Well, and, and you know, fire season is amongst us, so it's time to stock up on the N95s again as well, unfortunately. Um, but yes, yeah, I, you, you touch on the right point in terms of it being, you know, more or less an individualized risk assessment at this point. I mean, if you're, if you're outdoors and you're vaccinated, I think it's entirely reasonable to be quite comfortable in general. Um, you know, that being said, if there's a crowd of 20 people standing around with beer or glasses of wine and they're shouting and yelling, I too would shy away from that, particularly if they weren't people that I know very well and was comfortable assessing their probability of being vaccinated. Um, but that's kind of where we are at this point with everything kind of with everything falling away. Um, it's being left to individuals to make a determination as to what they're comfortable with and what um, you know how much risk do they want to um, expose themselves to uh, from this from this virus which is you know still here pretty robustly frankly gotcha gotcha and and i understand uh, i've read a couple articles about this and i understand how um i can be exposed to someone and i could pick it up and it could hang out and live in my nose for a while but it's not going to really affect me or if it does affect me it won't affect me much because i have been vaccinated but also if i can harbor it I have a 10-year-old that we don't even have the option, you know, of getting him vaccinated at this point. And so so I'm 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 just like you, you know, being a parent. I'm probably a notch more careful than I would have been before. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's reasonable, um, you know, given where we are, particularly if you have an unvaccinated 10-year-old. But in general, you know, I think your 10-year-old can involve, get engaged in 10-year-old activities quite safely at this point. Um, you know, presuming that they are outside or that there's masking going on. I, I don't think that's unreasonable at this point. But that, again, is just sort of my personal comfort with my 10-year-old, <laughs> um, which... I hear you. Yeah. And, and believe me, you know, I, I love that I got to hang out with him as much as I did last year, but I really am, am excited that he's going to be able to interact with some of his uh, group and get back to school soon. So, you know, it's, it's all just so tenuous at this yeah. point. And, and I really thank you for um, putting aside some time each week to hang out with us for the last year and some. And uh, I imagine uh, you might be available, especially after some time with your family in the summer, should things heat up again. You might be somewhat available again in the future. And if I'm wrong, you don't have to let me know right now. I just really appreciate what you've done this year. Well, thank you. Thank you. And if, if things change dramatically over the course of the next several months or longer, I'm sure Alicia and I will come roaring right back and uh you know occupy well, you know, our own you, time slot you've developed a situation where alicia handles it really well and can deal with you on the phone or you know she has access to other people and you can also refer more people as you have and so i think alicia is really quite capable of handling it if you can't so oh well, thank you come, come back anyway but you know uh, i'll take i'll help. take Let's up the mantle forward into the fog together <laughs> thank you. thanks for the call bye I feel like that means I have to get a, a medical degree. They're not hard. Oh, really? You know, four, seven, eight, ten years, and you'll be done. Yeah. Then I'll be just about ready to retire. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, I think I'll stay here at the radio station. I like it. 895-2448-707-895-2448. The lines are open here on our waning days of the local coronavirus update. Seems like our timing is perfect for um, finally ending the show next week. It's all about timing when you're an ER doctor. I guess so. Yeah. ER and pandemics. Yeah. Let's take our next call. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hi. I just want to say thank you for your dedication, for your such deep caring for our community. Uh, I very much appreciate that. i got to turn the radio off. Uh, I just really much appreciate what you've done Um it just amazes me, uh, your forthrightness on both of your parts. And I certainly hope there's no need for either of you to come back and do this. <laughs> Amen. Um, <laughs> You're here. <laughs> well, thank you for the kind words. I, I really appreciate it. It's oh, been fun. It's just mind-boggling what you've done and, and, and how clear and upfront you've been um, about what's happening um, in the face of a lot of people wanting to say, oh, this is just a, a flu, there's nothing to worry about, mass or impingement on our rights. I mean, <laughs> it's been too highly politicized when it's actually a real big medical issue. So, anyway, your courage, your dedication, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Oh, thanks for the call. You're welcome. All right, well, we got another caller. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. I'm sorry I missed the first part of this show, and I didn't know if you addressed the adverse reaction some young men are having to the vaccine, the Pfizer and some Moderna. I have a great nephew that ended up in the hospital at 15 years of age after his second shot of the Pfizer with those conditions. And I'm wondering if it's more prevalent than we know. It probably isn't much more prevalent than we know because there's a pretty robust um, reporting system um, in terms of adverse events. And I don't, you know, I obviously am not sure what happened to your, I think you said nephew. Um, But but some, you know, some small fraction of people are developing an inflammatory reaction to the vaccine. Inflammatory heart is what it was. So it could be myocarditis or pericarditis. It It was myocarditis, It it, it can be quite scary, um, but it is proving to be short-lived and generally not causing any sort of permanent damage. Now, myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart muscle, can get quite Mm -hmm. serious, but the ones that um, are triggered by this vaccine seem to be of the more mild spectrum. Um, But still, you know, the the markers of heart function are are quite elevated um, in terms of heart inflammation, um, and you can even have some impaired pumping uh, of the heart. Mm -hmm for several days or longer. However, from what we can see and what we know or what I've seen, um, people tend to recover from it really without any long-term sequelae. And I I hope your nephew has followed that course. I do too. Okay, thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks for the call. Yeah, yeah, that's something that we were hearing about a few few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But I wonder how her nephew did. We... We didn't get that information. Oh, darn it. Sorry. 895-2448. The lines are open. 895-2448 <laughs> here at KZYX. This is the local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Kovacs. We'll be here for, until 4 o'clock, so we got about mm, 17, 18 more minutes. 
And we'll take our next call. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Yeah, and I would appreciate if you wouldn't discontinue me. Sometimes I get in and you discontinue me when I've still got a question or a comment. Um, this is Randy. And I'm allergic to penicillin and also sulfur drugs. And my brother's um, son, when he got his vaccination, he ended up having an epileptic seizure and continued with his, he, he ended up dying from it at age 24 from an epileptic seizure that, you know, originated from a vaccination when he was a child. And I'm a Belgian ancestry, and I understand Belgian blood line is different than others. I'm not sure specifically how that works. And there was a 90-year-old woman uh, at my church who ended up having a blood a heart. She had a heart condition where she couldn't breathe, and she ended up going into the hospital. I'm 74, and I haven't. I'm one of these reluctant. I have not had a vaccination, and I'm open. My daughter's a nurse, and and my brother's not getting one. I'm I'm hesitant because of my own personal circumstances, and a lot of times when people, when you hear on the radio of people dying from COVID, and they're 90 years old, or they're 70, or you know they're 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 you know everybody dies anyway. And one doctor here in town said that pneumonia is one of the doctor's best friends because often people are ready to die, but they don't. But if they have a cold, it enables them to nudge over to the other side. And so how many people are being told, how many deaths ordinarily occur? That's my question. Well, how many people die from old age are being told that it's COVID, you know, when it might just be the flu or a cold? I've had my flu vaccination, and I'm healthy as a horse. I mean, I'm not sick. I don't have coughs or colds at this point, but I'm hesitant to get this vaccination. Well, I, I, so there's a lot of information in your in your question, um, to, and so to unpack some of it, um, you led with your allergies, which were penicillin and sulfa, um, which really shouldn't. Um, have any sort of um, effect on your ability to tolerate the vaccine whatsoever. Um, that's it affects your breathing. My breathing is affected when I have penicillin. No, I understand, but the the vaccine for COVID is not related to penicillin or sulfa at all. So your allergies to those two antibiotics shouldn't. Um, shouldn't influence your analysis as to whether you want to get vaccinated or not. Um, secondly, your, your statement about COVID deaths. Now, yes, it is primarily the more elderly who are dying from COVID, not exclusively to be sure, um, but there's certainly a heavy skewing toward people who are over the age of 70. But the death count is actually, by every estimate, um, is actually lower than the true number of deaths from COVID. So right now we're sitting at, I think, about 602,000 U.S. deaths from COVID. Um, the actual number of deaths from COVID is probably another 150,000. Um, and the actual deaths due to the pandemic, uh, when you factor in deferred health care, when you factor in increased overdose deaths, and when you factor in all these other uh, conditions that have run rampant and you know have been less robustly addressed during last year and a half um, have resulted in probably twice as many excess deaths. So we're talking 1.2 million excess deaths in the last 17 months due to the pandemic, whether it's due to COVID or whether it's due to our handling of COVID. Um, I, you know, I don't know, and I don't think it really makes a big difference. Um, but 
To be sure, uh, the people who are counted as having died from COVID did, in fact, actually die from COVID. Now, you might be 96 years old. As opposed to pneumonia? Yes. How can you tell the difference between the pneumonia death and the COVID death? Well, because we can tell the difference of a COVID pneumonia versus any other type of pneumonia. The virus, is is that specific? The appearance of pneumonia from COVID is very distinct, yes. Okay, that answers one of my questions, then, because, um, you know, I'm just how many people ordinarily die every year, you know? Well, yeah, I don't have that exact number at my fingertips, but I can tell you that, in general, about 500,000 Americans die every year from heart disease. Another 500,000 Americans die every year from cancers of all flavors. So, you know, in the last year and X number of months, we've lost more people to COVID than the two leading causes of mortality in this country, which is heart disease and cancer. Um, And other things that, you know, get a lot of attention, you know, gun deaths in this country are absurdly high, but that leads to about 20, 25,000 people being killed every year from guns, um, counting all sources of gun violence. Um, And so, you know, we're talking COVID, you know, 10, 15, 20 times higher than that source of mortality in this country. And I'm curious, too, did you happen to hear Terry Gross yesterday or the day before when she was interviewing uh, one of the people talking about the Hunan, about the laboratory? Uh, virus that escaped from the laboratory. I I did not listen to that, but again, I would like to recommend that you do. They were talking about the men, the six men that went down into a mine, and three of them died, yeah. and how the the vials disappeared. And it was a very she's a very interesting interviewer and very very uh, you know clear about her questioning. It was a one hour of of uh, good. Reporting. I was great. All right, Randy. Thanks for the call. We do have other callers trying to get in. Thanks a lot. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. That person just gave up. Didn't make it. Oh, shoot. Try again. 895-2448-707-895-2448. And we will take your call. The lines are open now. They were full. Oh, there it is. Okay. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hello. Uh, yeah, I'd like to thank Lloyd along with everybody else, uh, both you and Dr. Colbeck, for doing um, It's usually what I listen to on my ride home, and I've learned a lot, so thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, second of all, second of all, because I know there's probably a whole bunch of people on the line, and usually suggestion is a caller who said it. Call. You are really breaking up. I'm sorry. Oh, to you say. got me now. Yeah. Am I am I coming in better now? It sounds like you're driving 253 to me, but go exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. Hello. Yes, you're you there. Got, yeah, you got me. Okay. Yep. So for the caller who was complaining about being cut off, this is a problem with the call-in shows. Clear, concise, short, and sweet. If you have to write your questions down, don't ramble. The host will appreciate it, and the people waiting to get in to call will appreciate it. Short and sweet, clear, concise. Thank you. All right. <laughs> little process advice from one of our callers. Thank you very much. Uh, it is true that that is a good way to do it. I always get nervous when I call in, and I can't get my words out, so I do appreciate having it written down. But I like the rambling question, because <laughs> then I can just sort of you know, pick and choose what I'm going to respond to. Yeah, it's yeah. very conversational. Yeah. Yeah. 
like it. And and besides, it's not like the phone's ringing off the hook today. It's, it's not like it's some of nice our past day out. shows. I mean, if I weren't if I weren't a co-host, I'd be out, you know, working right now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that would be good and healthy. Yeah. <laughs> it is a beautiful day and the weekend was oh, stunning as well on the coast and inland. Except it was so hot inland. It was 115 in my car. I could not believe it. You should have rolled down the windows, Alicia. Uh, I'll think of that next time. Yeah. It is hot outside. Uh-huh. Okay, anyway, next call. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Oh. Hello, caller, you're live on the air. Hi. Um, I was calling. Um, I. Uh, okay, I should have wrote this down. Um, <laughs> I, ha- <laughs> I had a question for Friday's show, and I know I was um, instructed to get a lawyer. Um, and I'm right. just wondering if maybe Dr. Colfax uh, um, has any more info. I've still been looking some stuff up about um, just employees and masking um you know, I would like to keep everybody wearing their masks, which, um, gratefully, they are in my business right now because everybody wants to keep wearing them. But um, I'm just wondering if there's going to be a time that you see coming up in the near future where it's just going to be, like, masks gone completely because I I don't – I mean, I guess that's not really my question. I just want to make sure that there's still some kind of protection for, you know, the vulnerable, and I know that we can't enforce everybody to do everything unless there's some kind of rule somewhere. So, I mean, it's just, I don't know, how to stress the importance to our customers or, you know, how to do that and the employees. I mean, with the new ones that we're trying to hire right now because they haven't been with us through the entire pandemic and seen how serious we've all taken it. So it's like me, you know, kind of scolding in a weird way um to, to for them to know the importance of how much we all care you know about everybody's uh, safety anyway i don't know if you want to even answer that but it was just something i felt about rambling yeah about. <laughs> no i mean it, it's a it's a fraught moment right i mean you're a business yeah. owner and you're trying to keep both your employees safe and your customers safe and you want it to be a safe environment and i think the majority of us feel better when we go indoors and we see people wearing masks um you know i yeah. i so it's it's difficult to navigate it. I'm not sure how a lawyer is going to help you much at all, other than to relieve okay. you of some money. Um, and I say mm-hmm. that I say that as a lawyer, but I I do think um, that communicating the need to keep the most vulnerable amongst us safe is really sort of my leading my suggested leading talking point with your employees. Um, you know, the, the notion that there's some people who just are not immune competent who could get sick and die from this, even with the availability of the vaccine, is real and present. Um, and I, I would lead with that point. Um, it's, it's not a big ask um, to be masked. It, it just isn't. Um, and whether it needs to be, you know, continuous when you're indoors or when you're in customer-facing areas, I would leave that to you. Um, Unfortunately, though, you're being hung out to dry by county, state, and federal government, Um, and that's that's the reality. They've just stepped away from giving you any um, cover on this. Now, 
I do know that OSHA, you know, has issued statements, and it's been sort of determined that you, that employers um, can require masking. That's fairly well established. But you know, God bless you if you get into some sort of legal battle with an employee around this. Um, that's just not a great place to be. I would suggest as you hire that that become a you know, a point of discussion when you are potentially hiring somebody. We require masking still, and we will continue to require masking. Is that going to be a problem for you, yes or no? Um, and, you know, they might kick and scream and complain, but that also is probably going to inform you as to how COVID safe they're willing to be. That really, I really appreciate that comment. That that really helps me for this coming week and our interviews and things going on. So thank you so much for that, and uh, have a great week. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All Good right. luck to you. Thanks for calling back. Yeah, remember that call. She was trying to figure out how she could get her employees to wear masks if they weren't vaccinated. Yeah, it's like hmm, I don't know. Well, you can, right? I mean, you you can require it. Can be a requirement for employment to wear a mask. That's not unduly burdensome. Mm-hmm. And that, that's quite clearly been um, stated by OSHA. Now, whether you're going to lose that employee or not is another question. Um, but that can be required as an employer. Can you require everybody who comes in to wear a mask? Yeah. Just yeah. like shoes and shirts? No, sh- no, yeah, no, sh- no shoes, no service, no mask, no service. It's, it's no all pets. the same. No pets? <laughs> well, unless they're, you know... Okay, caller, we've got time for a short one. What you got? Short one. Well, just on the note you just made about um, this employer being hung out to dry, I feel like this show ending is leaving us out to dry. There's still so much more to come. You know, boosters, vaccines, you know, their impact on health in the long term and vaccines for young people. And I hope that, you know, hope you all keep... uh, popping on the air and keeping us as informed as you have been over the last year. We really appreciate everything you've done for the community. That's it. Well, thank you. And, you know, the, I, I'm not ruling out the possibility that we would return in some capacity in some slightly more restricted um, format um, in the future. But the week-to-week show, I think, has, you know, run its productive course um, as of Right. That makes Monday. sense. Yeah. Just like a virus. Well, we hope to hear your, yeah, hope to hear your voices on here uh, again. Thank you. All right. Thanks for that. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Back by popular demand. <laughs> well, if you want to kind of mark the occasion, we are going to open up the the patio here at the station in Philo and have a little going away party next week after our last show at four o'clock. So you're welcome to come bring a potluck dish if you want. And we're going to just hang out and celebrate for an hour or so after the show. Uh, here Should at the Philo fun. station. Yeah. Should be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And um, yeah, that's going to do it for us today. I just need to get a good rant ready for next Monday. You are right. The yeah. rant of the century. We'll, yeah, we'll have right? a farewell rant. Yeah. And this is the local coronavirus update from 3 to 4 o'clock on Mondays. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Any final thoughts, Drew, before we say goodbye? Thank you, callers. Thanks for all the kind words. Be safe. And be back next week for our final show. Yeah, that was 
a lot of kind words. I know. It just it was kind of embarrassing, right? <laughs> yeah. Not comfortable yeah. getting no, compliments. We, next, next week, we should probably just, you know, preface that we'll assume that all callers are thanking us. And <laughs> if, if you want to state otherwise, you can do so. Bring your criticisms, <laughs> yes. too. Yeah. We'll feel a little more comfortable. All right. Well, on that note, uh, it's been great. Thanks, everybody, for calling. And we'll talk with you next week at 3 o'clock. Sounds good. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXMZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.